drives in every human is the desire for wealth. Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven or hell. For this reason, Satan has exploited this desire, and today gambling is a billion-dollar industry. Although it is legalized in many countries, gambling has destroyed the lives of millions throughout the world. How can we confront this dangerous addiction of gambling? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat and his friends provide evidence for faith and hope in Christ, as well as biblical answers to the challenges that face our culture today. Join us as Pat and his guest, Dr. Richard Land, discuss the devastating effects of gambling and how we can confront this deadly addiction. Let's join Pat now with Dr. Richard Land. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Jesus Christ, and we provide biblical answers to some of the toughest challenges our culture and Christians are facing today. And our topic today is gambling. 30 years ago, gambling was a relatively rare phenomenon with casinos operating only in the distant Nevada desert and a few states with lotteries or other forms of sports betting. Today, legalized gambling is permitted in 47 states and the District of Columbia. And the momentum seems to be on the side of those who want legalized gambling as a way to supplement state revenues. Well, here to help us address this issue is Dr. Richard Land. Dr. Land is the current president of Southern Evangelical Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. He received his Master of Theology from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary and his Doctor of Philosophy from Oxford University in England. He served for 25 years as the president of Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. He also served from 87 to 88 as the administrative assistant to the governor of Texas, the Honorable William P. Clements. Dr. Land served five terms with the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom under President Bush and was reappointed by former Senate Majority Leader Bill Friss and Senator Mitch McConnell. An interesting note, Dr. Land was featured in Time Magazine as one of the 25 most influential evangelicals in America and was recognized by the National Journal as one of the top 10 church-state experts. And he is an author of several books, including The Divided States of America, What Liberals and Conservatives Get Wrong About Faith and Politics, another book, Imagine a God-Blessed America, and Real Homeland Security. So we have a man here who's not only has experience in Christian ministry on this topic, but also working on the public and in the government area as well. So a man well qualified to speak on this subject, Dr. Richard Land. Welcome to the show again. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you. Well, Dr. Land, gambling is a multi-billion dollar industry today. And tell us, how widespread is gambling in our country today? It's metastasized into virtually every state. It's a terrible, terrible compromise that our governments are making at the state level, and it is having catastrophic consequences. Gambling is one of the two fastest-growing addictions in America, along with pornography, and it is causing untold damage to families and to communities and to states that have made this fatal compromise with evil. And, and I don't, look, let me just state very clearly, gambling is contrary to Scripture. It violates at least three of the Ten Commandments. First of all, it's theft, because gambling is a zero-sum game. Gambling doesn't produce any wealth. 
it transfers well. In order for you to win, others have got to lose. So you're taking their money. So it's theft. If it becomes an addiction, it's idolatry. And you're coveting what your neighbor has. So that's at least three of the Ten Commandments. In addition to which, when the state sponsors gambling, it is perverting and making a mockery of what God intended civil government to do. Romans chapter 1 says that God ordained the civil government to punish those that do evil and to reward those who do that which is right. So when the government sponsors gambling and promotes it in order to get its cut of the action, you reduce the civil magistrate to a bookie. And I believe that God never honors that kind of perversion of his institution of the civil magistrate. Right. You know, just because it is legal and sanctioned by the government doesn't make it right. You bring up a good no. point. No, it, it is a perversion of why God invented government. It, the government is promoting for its own cut of the action that which is clearly antisocial and destructive to the common good. And if you look at America, there's a an inverse relationship between the number of lottery outlets and the average income of local areas. In your richest neighborhoods, there are very few lottery outlets. The poorer the neighborhood, the more likely there is to be a large number of lottery outlets. So you're taking, it's a regressive form of, of taxation. For instance, in the state of Georgia, where they sold the lottery under the idea of scholarships for college, they found that students were getting scholarships to college from families that were making between fifty and $70,000 a year in family income. And the revenue for it was coming from gambling from income, family incomes of fifteen dollars to $30,000. Now, that's bad public policy any way you look at it. When my home state of Texas first made the lottery legal, I was introduced to the visual impact of its detrimental impact. When I crossed the state line the first time, I was coming back from Tennessee to Texas. I drove into Texas on Interstate 20. At that time, they didn't sell Bluebell ice cream except in the state of Texas. And by the way, as an aside, when God eats ice cream, he eats Bluebell. <laughs> it's made in Brenham, Texas, and is the best ice cream in the world. And I would stop at a particular convenience store that I knew had pints of Bluebell ice cream, and I would get myself a pint of ice cream. And I stopped, and there was a car parked next to me. It was a beat-up old station wagon, three kids in the car who could be better kept. The car was dirty. I went inside, purchased my ice cream, was waiting to purchase it. And in front of me, there was a woman who had bought $20 worth of lottery tickets, and she was frantically scratching them off, seeing if she'd won. She went back and got in that car and drove off with those three kids. I can guarantee you that 20 bucks could have been better used in dealing with what those children needed rather than chasing the false hope of winning the lottery. Yes, indeed. You know, and there are different types of gambling out there, not just the Vegas slot machines. What are the different types of gambling that we're exposed to? Well, there's the lottery, uh, which is the, probably the most widespread. There's sports gambling. There's gambling on the Internet that's done with Internet poker, also Internet uh, sports betting. And then, of course, there are the casinos, and the casinos are the worst. When the federal research shows that when a casino goes into a community, within five years, 
Every major crime the government keeps tabs on increases dramatically except homicide. It doesn't lead people to killing other people, but extortion, embezzlement, prostitution, drug abuse, armed robbery, you name it, it goes up significantly when a casino becomes your neighbor. Casinos are bad neighbors. Yeah, you know, there are clear sociological and economic studies on that that show these results. It seems like sin just continues to breed more sin. And listen, it impacts the church, too. In Mississippi, which brought in statewide gambling, casinos, in Baptist life, normally in the state paper, which is a paper that's circulated in each state and is sponsored by the State Convention of Baptists, they will quarterly produce in their magazine a report on how much money each local church has given to the National Convention. This is a way of encouraging people to give more. Well, they found within a couple of years of having gambling come in, casino gambling, that they were reporting these figures and they were discovering that the church thought it had given a certain amount to the convention, but they hadn't because the church secretary had been embezzling the money to gamble with. Wow. Yeah. Now, if the church financial secretary is embezzling from the church, you know that it's even more widespread in local businesses and in other areas of business. Wow, and there are also studies that show that gambling also has a direct effect on family relationships as well. Oh, well, there's no question about it. Look, people, as I once again, as my wife is a marriage and family therapist, and she'll tell you that the biggest cause for divorce in America is financial, is finances. Disagreements and arguments about money is the biggest reason for divorce. If you've got somebody who's addicted to gambling and they're gambling away the family's finances, it's going to be very destructive to the relationship. Yes, absolutely. You know, the Journal of Social Issues found that gambling increases the proportion of divorce and separation, uh, disagreement on money matters, lack of understanding and communication, and a whole host of more marital issues. And listen, it is addictive. Have you ever seen somebody playing those slot machines, you know, until they, I mean, literally people who will, well, I don't want to be crude, but they will not attend to nature's necessities. Wow. While they're on those slot machines, you watch somebody work, you watch some of these people work in slot machines, and you know what addiction looks like. Well, you know, one of the arguments for gambling, such as the lottery, is that it will increase the state's revenue and bring in more money for schools and yeah. parks and other state programs. So it's a good thing. How do you answer that? Well, my answer is that, that first of all, God's not going to honor it when you turn the government into a bookie. And secondly, whatever amount of money's brought in, it's a terribly regressive tax. It taxes the people who are least able to afford it. I'll go back again to the fact that there are many times more lottery outlets in poor areas of town than there are in wealthier areas of town. When I was working for the governor of Texas, I had state legislators say to me, look, I know this. I know that gambling taxes the poor more than it taxes the wealthy. I think it's a stupid tax. We tax people for being stupid, for not understanding that all of the odds are with the House or the government, not with the person who is gambling. I actually had one state legislator say to me, look, it's a tax on stupid people. Okay, it's a tax on poor people. It's a terribly regressive tax. You're taking money from relatively poor people or poor people 
and, and using it for scholarships and other things for middle class and affluent people. That's bad public policy any way you look at it. Yeah, you know, and well, we're not exposed to that kind of information. What we see on TV are the success stories, those who uh, win well, the lottery and, uh, and build mansions love it. and things. Politicians love it because it, 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 it alleviates them having to take responsibility for levying taxes to pay for the government services. They can do this through a secret, you know, sort of a, an invisible tax. Well, here's another argument I often hear from people. Gambling is real popular here in the state of Hawaii. People go to Vegas more than they go to church here sometimes. Another argument is, well, I just do it for fun. I won't get addicted. What do you have to say to that person? Well, what I would say to them if they're Christians is, have you ever heard of the doctrine of weaker brethren? You know, you may not be addicted to gambling, but we all have a circle of influence. And we have influence over other people. And when we do something, that may give permission to other people to do something. And as a direct result of our influence on them, they become addicted. It's one of the reasons, not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons why I am a teetotaler. I do not want my actions to cause someone to start using alcohol and then become a problem drinker. So I do not imbibe alcohol. In fact, I'm pretty strict about it. My wife had an upset stomach, and she wanted some Angostura bitters, which is evidently quite good with club soda for an upset stomach. I went to the grocery store, and they didn't have it, and I was asking the clerk about it. He said, well, they have it at the liquor store next door. I said, well, I'm a Baptist preacher. I'm not going into a liquor store. <laughs> and so she went in for me and got the Angostura bitters, and I, I paid her back. That's a good point. Yeah, and if you play around too much with the fire, you're eventually going to get burned. Well, that's right. I mean, you know, it's you don't know whether you're going to get addicted until you do it. And then number two, you could very easily become an unwitting accomplice in someone else becoming addicted. And I'll tell you, it is a temptation. I gambled once in my entire life, and I won big. I said to myself, okay, i got to stop this right now. I'm going to date myself now. It was 1969. I was a senior in college. And Super Bowl three was getting ready to happen. And I grew up in Houston, so I'm a big AFL fan, Oiler fan. Mm -hmm. And all of my friends at Princeton were saying that the Colts were going to destroy the Jets. And I said, I don't think so. I think the Jets are going to win. And they said, look, Lynn, we're getting ready to make a bet with a bookie in, in uh, Jersey City. Put your money where your mouth is. Well, in a weak moment, <laughs> I did. And I bet what was then, for me, a considerable amount of money, about $30 at eight and a half to one odds. And Broadway Joe brought home a winner, and I had over $240 that I'd won. Wow. So I immediately repented. <laughs> I tithed on it. I used the rest to buy a new suit for graduation, and I promised the Lord I'd never gamble again. <laughs> Wow, that's quite a story there. And back then you could buy a suit for 200 and something dollars. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, Dr. Land, if the government has these kinds of facts and statistics that you're stating, why do they seem to be then promoting gambling and legalizing it and not restricting it? Because you have spineless politicians who want to generate revenue in a way that doesn't cost them politically. And since most people don't know this information... 
they think that gambling is a way to avoid having to pay more taxes for government services. Wow. Well, I mean, I know I know Baptist preachers whose children have gone to college on scholarships funded from the lottery, which I have a moral issue with. What can we do then to combat the growing industry of gambling? Well, first of all, once again, we have to educate our people. That's part of discipleship as far as I'm concerned. We have to educate our people. And we have to, about the evils of it and about the fact that it, it, I believe it violates at least three of the Ten Commandments. It is theft. In order for you to win, somebody else has got to lose. It doesn't produce any wealth. Gambling doesn't create any pies. It just redistributes pies. And the person cutting the pie gets a take. Secondly, I think we need to make people aware of the fact that it is an addictive behavior. It does have addictive properties. And that even if we're not addicted, our using or availing ourselves of gambling may cause others to get involved in gambling, and they may find that they're addicted to it. It may destroy their lives. People in prison today because they embezzled money to gamble with. Yes, you know, and, and it destroys the work ethic that God designed. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's no skill involved in it. Yeah, it's one of those uh, get rich quick and just feeds on our greed and also right. our laziness as well. It also has a corrupting influence, for instance, sports. One of the reasons that sports leagues are very, very strict about it is that it can have a tremendous corruptive effect in terms of fixing games in order to put the thumb on the scales as you're gambling. Well, what can the church do as far as standing against gambling and really being a powerful, influential force against this growing industry here? Well, once again, I would say we have to inform and disciple our people about what moral issues are involved and the fact that we should not imbibe or utilize gambling because it, it violates God's commandments. It violates God's purpose for the civil magistrate. And God's not going to honor that kind of perversion of uh, his God-given institution of the civil magistrate. And that we need to understand that the gambling industry is not a good neighbor. It brings with it prostitution, it brings with it drug dealing, it brings with it theft, embezzlement. Every major crime except murder goes up substantially when a casino comes to town. Well, putting on your prophetic glasses here, what direction do you see our government going when it comes to gambling? Will there be laws further promoting it in all of the states? Or do you see them uh, really restricting gambling and start clamping down on well, it? Where do you see it going? Well, if history is any judge, we will see a rise in gambling to a critical mass and then a collapse because it becomes a corrupting influence. We've had this kind of history in our country before. It tends to be cyclical, where people will put their faith in a lottery, either a national government lottery or some other kind of lottery, or gambling, and there's so much money involved that it becomes a corrupting influence. So much money involved that people start getting bribed and it becomes corrupt and then people react against it, then they forget about it in a couple of generations and it comes back. Secondly, I would say to you that, what I would say to you about our country in general, things are not going to stay the way they are. They're either going to get much worse or they're going to get better. The status quo won't sustain itself. We will either continue to degenerate in terms of further breakdown of the family and the reasons for the breakdown of the family, or we will have a heaven-sent revival, which is where God's people get right with God. You've got to be vibe before you get revived. 
you'll have a revival among God's people, and when that happens, lost people notice because we treat them differently and we treat each other differently. And some of them will want to know why, and we get to tell them. And when we tell them, some of them will get saved. And if enough of them get saved, then we progress from a revival to an awakening. If enough people get revived and awakened, then we move to a reformation. And those people begin then to apply the truths of the gospel to the evils of society. You can have a reformation. And that's what we must have in America. We're way beyond what a revival and an awakening can do. We've got to have a reformation that will transform America in the same way that Luther and Calvin transformed Europe in the way Edwards and Whitfield and Wesley transformed England and, and colonial America in the Great Awakening. Fantastic. Those are great words to end on here. You've been listening to an interview with Dr. Richard Land, the president of Southern Evangelical Seminary there in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Dr. Land, tell us a little bit about that great seminary out there, Southern Evangelical Seminary. Well, we're a seminary that was founded by Dr. Norm Geisler and Ross Rhodes, then the pastor of Calvary Church in 1992, with the twin goals of global evangelization and apologetics. We believe that increasingly in the 21st century, the way we're going to spell evangelism, the way we're going to spell missions, the way we're going to spell discipleship is apologetics, giving people sound and compelling answers to their honest and reasonable questions. We do want to win the argument, but we don't want to just win the argument. We want to win the person to faith in Christ. We're not a general practitioner like most seminaries. Most seminaries, by design, have to be general practitioners. They offer majors in Old Testament majors and New Testament majors in counseling majors in education majors in theology and philosophy. We offer Greek and Hebrew. We, we require them because we believe you need to know the original languages to truly understand Scripture. But you can't get a major in New Testament at SES. We are the spiritual equivalent of neurologists. We do philosophy and theology. We require more theology and philosophy and logic and metaphysics for a degree from our seminary than any seminary in the country. And uh, I've been here now 18 months. I am more convinced every day that what we're doing here is critical to the future of the, of the church and that we're the best at what we do in terms of practical, applied apologetics. And everything we do is available online. So you can stay in Honolulu, and while you're taking courses from us, you can look out the window and watch the orchids grow. <laughs> That's right. That's one of the leading and fastest-growing seminaries in the country fantastic lineup of some of the best Christian scholars, not only in the United States, but in the world, featuring professors like Dr. Norman Geisler, Dr. Richard Land, Gary Habermas, Ron Rhodes, and some other great guests we've had on our show and at our conference. And Dr. Land will be at our conference coming up there, and so we hope to see you all there. Well, Dr. Land, thanks for being on the show, and these are two fantastic interviews. And tell us also, as we close, how people can get more information, get in touch with you. Well, they can go to our website, ses.edu, and one program that is brand new, which I think might be of interest to some of the folks, is we have uh, reactivated our Southern Evangelical Apologetics Lay Institute. There are people who aren't really prepared yet to start doing coursework, but they want to know more about apologetics, and they want to study apologetics. And so we've reactivated our Lay Institute. We're online. You can get a basic certificate in apologetics, and you can get an advanced certificate in apologetics. The basic certificate starts off with a course on Introduction to Apologetics online with Dr. Norm Geisler, then a course in 
ethics and current social issues from a biblical perspective by me, and then, of course, uh, on conversational apologetics and evangelism with David Geisler. And then you can move on to an advanced apologetics class, if you, of course, if you want to. So if you want more information about how you can do that and access that, just go to ses.edu and follow the prompts. Fantastic. That's Dr. Richard Lamb, president of Southern Evangelical Seminary. You've been listening to Pat's interview with Dr. Richard Lamb on the topic of gambling. If you've missed any part of this interview, log on at evidenceandanswers.org and you can listen to the entire interview as well as our series on ethics. Evidence and Answers Radio Show relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by the show, please support us in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Join us here next time on Evidence and Answers as Pat and his friends provide compelling evidence for faith in Christ and biblical answers to the challenges we face each day. Yeah.